other guys putting the pressure on Paul. And my respect for Paul went through the roof because he was honoring, he was respectful, but he says, you know what? God has put these values in my heart and I'm not going to change them for anyone. And we're like, Paul, these are the big guys. Change your values for heaven's sake, yeah? (laughs) Stop being such a... Stop being such a weirdo and just change your values. And uh, it was awkward and there were moments, can you remember that meeting? There were moments that were super awkward. You know when it goes quiet and it's like everyone's expecting Paul to go, oh, you're right, okay, I'll, I'll give in. But he just sat there and everyone's just like, and, uh, and, and obviously Paul went on from there and that model that he really believed in, he's taken it all over the world and it's completely working and it was right that he did that. And my respect for him went right through the roof. But I don't think it would be right to leave it at that, my respect for him. I don't want that to be the last thing you think about me respecting Paul because there was a moment when my respect went right down, right? And... Uh, we had this um, Australian preacher come. I told some of you guys this the other day, but we had this Australian preacher come. And at the time, the movie was Billy Elliot. You know the story of the little boy doing ballet. And this conference, I don't know, there's about a 1,000 people or whatever. And the Australian guy thought it would be fun to get each one of the Youth Alive guys to come up and do a little dance on the stage. And so I got up and did something stupid. I was kind of all over the place, and people like laughed. That's fine. And then everybody was doing it, and then Paul was last. And Paul, I could see that Paul was really concentrating on doing this ballet. And uh, he got up and he did this ballet. And I've got to be honest with you, the whole room went a bit quiet because it was like really good. Yeah, it was really good. And it was all just a bit, he'd taken it a bit too serious. Do you know what I mean? And everyone's like, ooh, he's done that before. And uh, do you know what I'm saying? Everyone just had that horrible feeling in the tummy that he actually does that at home. You know what I'm saying? Just got some ballet tights on and he does a bit of ballet. And I have no idea what Lynn does at the time. But anyway, I don't know if she goes into another room or whether she puts on one of those little tutus. I don't know. That's not my... I've not to get involved in that. But the thing is, it was... Uh, do you remember that? Oh. This is the whole room going, ooh. Do you know what I'm saying? Ooh. Anyway, it's amazing. Well, it's been so great to be, and I've got, a, I've got a word burning inside me that I'd love to share with you. I don't know if you've got your Bible, but if you have, a, a really well-known Bible um, uh, story in the Bible, and it's really, really well-known, and I hope that's not going to get in the way of you hearing what God wants to say. It's in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and Jesus is, is speaking, and you know, they're, they're not getting it. And the, one, of the, one of the guys, who's my neighbor? In, in Luke chapter 10, who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus, the Bible says in Luke 10, verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to, Jeru- to Jericho. And when he fell into the ha- then he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Wow. I I really wanted to say that this is a picture. It's a story that Jesus told to make a strong point. But it's a story as he paints that picture that can make a point to our souls today in this place. You see, the sense in which that man was beaten and bust and broken and laid at the side. And I know that lots of you probably know this, but the enemy of our souls has ripped a generation off, has beaten and bust and broken a generation and left it half dead on the side of the road. That there are people around in this neighborhood and, 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 and in the sphere of this community who are bust and beaten and broken and ruined and damaged. I, I, I really um, get upset in my soul because you see the enemy, the devil, he rips people off and he leaves them at the side of the road. He leaves them half dead. He makes incredibly wild promises and then leaves people broken and bust and ruined. And you know that there are, there are devastated people around our lives. This week that you're going to come, that you're going to come across people that are, are maybe on the outside they look fine. Maybe on the outside they look good, but on the inside they're devastated. They're beaten, they're broken, they're ruined, they're damaged. And, you know, I really feel that Jesus was speaking to us when he says, you know, that those first two men, they crossed the road. The priest saw this guy beaten and bust and broken, and he crossed the road. You know, he he hid his eyes. He hid his eyes from the pain and the trouble and the struggle. And it's so tempting for us today to hide our eyes. It's so tempting for us today to live in in, in the blessing that God has given us and to hide our eyes from the devastated and the ruined and the broken. It's so, so easy for Mark Ritchie, for me, to like think, I don't want to look at the devastated. I don't want to look at the marginalized. I don't want to look at those people that have been wrecked and ruined. People that are are far from God. It would be much more comfortable for me to, to cross the road and to hide my eyes. You know, people say to me, why do you do comedy shows? Why do you do comedy shows and weave the gospel in? It would be easier for me to go around the church route preaching in different churches and making a bit of a living for myself. But the reason why I do it is because I'm compelled inside me that I cannot hide my eyes from the broken and the ruined and the lost. Guys, I love 
that you took a risk and had me come here on Friday. I love that you as a church, that your heartbeat is, that we do not want to just exist, patting each other on the back, but we want to exist for the people that are not here yet. I love that. I love that you would put some resource behind getting me to come and to speak to people from the community. I love that because that is Christ. That is what Jesus would ask us to do. He doesn't want us to hide our eyes from those who don't know God yet. Wow. Some of you may have seen this in the news, but a few years ago we we were really impacted by a story about a cruise ship called Costa Concordia. Costa Concordia, what happened is that um, it's a cruise ship and basically the captain took the cruise ship too close to the rocks and the ship broke and smashed against the rocks. It turned out later that the cat, we found out that the captain was shown off to some of his friends in land and he ripped the ship, was completely smashed. And I don't know if you've heard this story, but this is 100% true because that captain right now, as we speak, is in prison. And the reason why he's in prison is because what happened is that the ship got ripped and people were getting into the lifeboats, but there were people, children that were drowning, men and women drowning, and the captain got his crew and he got onto a lifeboat and he began to sail away from the ship back onto land while people were still dying on the ship. And um, it is the most, I wept when I heard this. There's a, a, a recording of the Coast Guard speaking to the captain. And he keeps on saying these words, go back to the wreckage. Go back to the wreckage. And the captain is crying like a baby saying, I can't look at the children. I can't look at these people drowning. And he's got his crew around him and they're sailing away. He's hiding his eyes from the pain and the devastation. He just wants to look after his own comfort. And wow, that speaks to me of the church because so often the church don't want to look at the broken and the devastated and the far from God. They want to surround themselves by their own crew. I go to so many places where they're like, we just want to have our nice, comfortable church, and we just want to sail away. And it's like, we don't want to look at that brokenness and that ruin. We don't want to look at the people that are going to spend forever and ever without God. And it's like, oh, we just want to sail away in our little crew and get as far away from that as possible. And there's so many churches who are in a nice little huddle, sailing away, hiding their eyes. And I'm speaking to you today that this church would always be about that we would open our eyes. That we would look at the brokenness. That we would always see the devastated. That I want an urgent that you would continue to put on events like Friday. That you would always be not about just a nice little club that's church. But actually saying we want to exist for those that are not here yet. We want to keep on being accessible and making it possible for people to meet with Christ. Does that make sense? You see... I love that, that, that Jesus is saying, do not cover your eyes. You know, you, the captain, he wanted to get away from the wreckage. I, 
I got invited to do my show that I did on Friday. I got the chance to do it in a pub in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And the email came through saying, you know, you've got to understand, Mark, this is one of the roughest pubs in Belfast. Now, I don't know if you've ever met anyone from Northern Ireland, but wow, when they speak to you, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd be there. Yeah. And that's the ladies, yeah? I mean. <laughs> and when I got that email and it's sitting on my desk, guess what? And this is honestly me being honest with you. I just I feel like I'm amongst friends. I had 15 other invites that suddenly I could be going to instead of this one. Do you know what I'm saying? Because in this email, he says, Mark, there's every chance people are going to shout out. They're going to have had a lot to drink. It's a pub in East Belfast. You know, it's going to be rough. And I sat there and I had a lot of places that I could have been rather than there. And I remember sitting there and there was an email that came through from a large church in Britain. And it was on the same night. And it, that's when the rubber hits the road. Because you know they're going to give you a check. Yeah? And the pub in East Belfast, they're going to give you a punch in the face. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you're looking at the two things thinking, what would I rather have? What would I rather have? Would I rather have the check from them or a punch in the face from them? But you know, there's something that compels me. It says, God, I've got to go to the wreckage. I've got to go to the brokenness. I've got to go to the devastated. And I urged you that we would be the same, that we would always do this. You see, friends, we must be brave. I love that this Samaritan, he got involved. You see, I don't know if you know the background of the story, but the background of the story is that that was a very dangerous area. And that often, I, I read some stuff that they said often it would be like a ploy that someone would lie on the ground looking like they were injured and then you would go and help them and when you started to help them, then you would be ambushed by the guy's friends and you would end up being the one beaten up and burst. So that guy was taking a big risk. He had to be courageous. It may be a plan to get me beat up and robbed, but he decided, you know what, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to help this guy on the side of the road. And I want to say to you that for you to really be a church that's reaching out to the lost, you have to have some guts. You have to be courageous. You have to be brave. You have to make brave decisions. And he, he, he got involved. I, I, uh, I've never been a great fighter, yeah? I've never been good at fighting. At school, I once got in a fight with a girl, and she beat me, yeah? And, uh, and, and, and I've never really been much of a fighter. But something happened. I, I, I had an incident that happened, and, and I want to tell you because it, it just shows you about what can happen. I, I was running a youth group in England, and we had about, at that time, we had about 40 or 50 young people, 11s to 14s. And my wife was pregnant with my son, Jordan, and she was eight months pregnant. And after the service, we went down to this park. And I took about 25 young kids to have some fun after church. My wife and me are looking after these kids. And a whole gang came down the hill. We found out later they'd all been taking drugs. They were absolutely out their heads. They were completely and totally mad. And they came down the, and, and, and they started. I remember they 
hit one of the little lads, he's 13, and they smacked him to the ground. And then they came over, and I was at the other side of the park chatting with some lads. They came and they surrounded my wife. She was eight months pregnant. You've got to understand, I told you at the beginning, and I, I didn't mean it as a joke. I've never been a fighter. I'm not really that guy. But something happened inside of me in that moment. Because, uh, you know, they're around my wife and my unborn baby is inside that tummy. And I love my wife and I love my child. I was over there. I was over there so quick. And I got in front of my wife and I stood in front of this group. And I was telling the kids to run back to the cars. And a couple of other guys came and stood next to me. And basically, we took a beating. We took up, I, I wish I could say to you, I looked up to heaven and an angel came down, yeah, and an angel wiped them out in the name of Jesus, and I said, you will not touch the anointed, yeah? I wish I could say that. No, what happened is I ended up in hospital. That is what happened. I was at A&E with one of the other guys, and wow, we took a beating, but you know, we stopped these guys from going forward, and all the guys were able to get back to the vehicles. My wife was able to get to the car, and I realized something. I you to know this courage is not the absence of fear it's having a conviction that rises up in your soul that is bigger and stronger than your fear you see courage is not oh i'm never scared courage is you have got a conviction that is burning inside of you that is bigger and greater than any fear and in that moment, I had the conviction that I was not going to allow my child, my wife, to be hurt. I had a conviction burning in me that made, meant that it was bigger and greater than the fear that I felt in my heart. And you know, when we want to see people rescued for God, we have to have that conviction that burns inside of us. We have to have that thing where, do you know what? I will do anything and everything anything and everything to see a generation come to Christ. That you make brave decisions. That you make audacious and bold decisions to be a church that is reaching the lost and the broken. Wow. You see, what I love is that then he put some ointment on the guy and then he journeyed with him to the inn. You know, we've got a journey with people. We've got to do the hard miles with people. Um, I don't know if Paul and Lynn know this because they've been in America for a while, but in the supermarkets, you know, the big shopping malls in, in England, there's been a huge change in the last 10 years. And what used to happen is if you were in the supermarket, you know, and you wanted dog food, you didn't know where the dog food was, you would ask a lady, and the lady would be there, and this is what she used to do. She used to point and shout where the dog, she'd say, oh, the dog food, if you go past the nappies, yeah, and you get to the, yeah, yeah, you get to the vegetables, if you go right at the vegetables, you go past like the, you know, the kind of cakes, and then there it is. I don't know if dog food and cakes are on the same, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. And uh, it's just there. That's what they used to do. And they don't do that anymore. I think probably you guys have never done that. But in, in England now, if you say to a lady, where's the dog food? She drops whatever she's doing and she gets up and she goes, let me take you to the dog food. She walks with you. She takes you. She journeys with you. And she goes, there's the dog food. And then off she goes. 
If supermarkets have understood that actually you can't just point and shout, but you've actually got a journey with people, when's the church going to wake up and realize that we cannot just shout, you know, oh, Jesus is over there, you'll see a hill, and you'll see kind of salvation, turn right at redemption, yeah, and you go past redemption, and you'll get, there it is, that's the gospel, it's over there somewhere. You know, that old style of doing evangelism is no longer it. We We've got a journey with people. People have got questions. People want to know stuff. They want to know, well, how does this fit into my worldview? And we've got to travel with people. And we've got to make that wonderful sense where we take people with us. You know, if I was to stop and say to you today, you know, have you got some non-Christian friends? Have you? Now, I love, I feel in this community, you guys do. You know, often I'm speaking in churches in England, and the church will be like, oh. you know, have you got a non-Christian friend? And they're like, uh, um, I'm praying for the world. Yeah, that's what they do. Cause like, oh. But I feel that a lot of you guys do, and I love that. You know, like that we would be journeying with people, that we would be traveling with them. That you say, oh, what did you think of that guy on Friday? How did that work out? What did you think about that? What did you think when he talked about Jesus and the cross? And you're journeying with people and you're traveling with them. We're not just shouting, yeah, it's over there somewhere. It's over there somewhere. And here we are. He journeyed with the guy, took him to the end, and then the Bible says that he paid for him to be restored. He paid the oil and the wine making such a difference. You see, friend, when the gospel really hits, it just doesn't mean that we put our hand up in an event. Our lives are completely restored. Our marriages are restored. Our health is restored. Our purpose in life is restored. Everything. And we've got to believe in restoration, the full restoration message of the cross. I get nervous about, you know, those stories of preachers who just basically want to get people over the line. Oh, you're saved now. Get yourself to church. Don't do bad stuff. And that's it. No, no, no. You know, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that we are continually being saved. We are continually being restored. It's that God wants every part of us to be restored. So we don't cross the line and still have a stinking marriage. We don't cross the line and we're like going to heaven now. But guess what? Our business relations are all terrible. We actually cross the line. And God wants to restore the whole person. He wants everything. He wants to get involved in every part of our lives. Every aspect of us. He wants to bring restoration. Wow. Oil and wine. And the guy was restored. See, I, I want to speak to you today as I'm bringing this to an end. That, you know, that we would be a church that would, like, see, pick up the broken and the bust and the ruined and the damaged and bring them. It's like that we would be brave. I, I, I carried a cross over Great Britain a few years ago from Brighton up to Edinburgh and then from Wrexham across to Hull in the shape of a cross. I walked 700 miles. I carried the cross through some really rough areas, a part of London where it's very a Muslim stronghold, and I'm carrying a cross. And at one point, I'm right there, and a whole group of Muslims are around me, and they're all asking me, what, 
what, what is this, what are you doing, what, what's that on your back, why, you know, and they're really in my face and they're calling others to come and I've got a group of about 20 Muslims around me and I get my phone out and I'm texting my prayer team, I'm texting them and I'm texting them the words, I am scared. But in the hustle and bustle of everything going on and predictive text, it came up to the team as, I am sacred. <laughs> but isn't that amazing that we would find the sacred in the scared? That we would find God in the middle of our courage and in the middle of our fear and in the middle of our troubles that God that's where he is sacred right in the middle of scared that that's where we will find him we'll not find him living a comfortable and cozy life we'll find him right there in the center of our fear that we would gather and I'm going to pray at the end that people in this room, that we, our hearts and souls will be stirred again, that we would look at the brokenness and that we would be brave. I wanted to finish by telling you this story that had a huge impact on me. And I, I, I'm sorry if I get a bit upset at this, but it really got me. It's a story of an old European gentleman comes up onto a stage in America in a big church. I think there's about 3,000 people. And this old European, he comes up to the microphone and he begins to tell his story. And he tells a story of how he's in a little church that's by a railway track. And that every Sunday they would have church and they would often hear trains go past. And that was kind of part of the, the, the deal. They understood that, no big problem. He says, but one time, it was during the time when Adolf Hitler was doing the horrendous things he was doing against the Jews. And they, they didn't fully understand exactly what was happening at that time because they were right in the center of it. But this little church, they heard a train come and they kind of knew that always happens, no problem. But suddenly as the train was coming, they they heard these men screaming and shouting. And these men were shouting, they're taking us to the death camps. They're taking us to the death camps. Please help us. Someone help us. And this shout and this scream comes out, please, someone help us. And this old European uh, gentleman in this church, he begins to sob and he, he says, oh God, we heard it. Everyone heard it in this little church. Oh, help us, please. They're taking us to the death camps. And the train goes past. He says, oh, God, have mercy on us. He says, because you know what we did? Because when we heard the next train coming, we quickly got our hymn books out. And we sang as loud as we could. We sang our hymns as loud as we could because we wanted to drown out. And we heard the train coming. And this time it was women and children and women screaming, please, please, they're taking us to the death camp. And this church, they sang their hymns as loud as they could to drown out the sound of these people screaming for help. And this old gentleman in this church began to sob and say, God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on us. 
every single week for the next few weeks. Every time we had a train coming, the whole church would start to sing the hymn, to sing as loud as they could so they couldn't hear the cry of a generation that was being taken to death. And oh, friend, as I'm finishing, I know this is passionate. I know this is almost a bit intense for you. But, you know, my soul just wants to speak to you today that, you know, the enemy wants to take a generation to forever without God. He wants to take broken and brushed people and forever to hell. That's his deal. And he's, there he is, and we as a church, what are we going to do? Are we just going to sing our songs as loud as we can so we do not hear the cry of, a, of hurting people? That, that We can't hear them anymore because we're singing our songs as loud as we can. Or maybe there are some in the room that are going to say, Oh God! I, 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 will, I, I promise you that I will be brave and that I will step on the track, that I will stop a generation in its tracks, that I will st step on the, on the track and say, no, you're not going there. If you're going to hell, you're going to have to drive over my body. If you're going to go to hell, then generation, you're going to have to get past me first. Why do I drive around the UK and, and do these shows? Why do I get up in pubs? Because I'm burning inside that I'm saying, no, you are not going to go to hell. If you're going to go to hell, you're going to have to get past me first. Because the scream. Because I told the Pays guys the other day that it was a scream. I told them, you know, I, I did the school assembly in England. We got in front of these kids on a Monday morning and there's this lad at the back, nine years old. He knocked the chairs over and he screamed and then the teachers tried to grab him and he knocked the teachers out of the way and he ran out. And we later on found out the reason why that little boy did that is because on the Friday, his dad had taken him to a bar to a pub in near where I lived and put him on the bar stool and said, whoever wants to bid the highest for this kid can take him home and do whatever they want to him. And in that bar in England, they bid and someone took him home and did horrendous things. And then on Monday, they brought him back for school. And this kid, and when the headmaster told me that, I started weeping, and I was like, God, that scream, I cannot ignore that scream. And right now, there are people all over this area who are crying up to God. And we, as a church, we can either sing our songs and try and crowd out the sound of the scream, or we can say, God, we're going to be brave. We're going to step and say, we're stopping a generation in its tracks. And I want to pray at the end today that this church will see many, many come to faith. That you will know wonderful moments where many in this area come to know Jesus and true restoration comes. I wonder if we could just bow our heads in the presence of God. Holy God, I, I'm just aware that 
but there will be one or and you've been drifting from God. And today you've understood that you've not had that full restoration. You've not known what it is to be completely restored. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to just pray a really simple prayer. And if that's you today, you pray that prayer. Don't say it out loud, but just quietly in your heart. This is the prayer. Dear God, thank you for salvation. I'm sorry for drifting from you. Pull me close to your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. As our heads stay bowed, I'm just going to quickly count to three. And as I count to three, you know, if you prayed that prayer, I just simply want you to put your hand up. We'd love to just put a book into your hand and then just take it and put it under your chair. One, two, three. If you prayed that prayer, just slip up your hand. Praise Jesus. That's great. That's really good at the pull. Just coming close to you in Jesus' name. Church, I wonder, I know I've got a hand back to Paul in a minute, but I just feel to make this call. We've not got a lot of time, and all I'm going to do is ask you to stand but what I'm going to ask you, church, is that you, you can hide your eyes. There's brokenness everywhere. There's people hurting and bleeding on the road. And we can hide our eyes. Or we can put our hands over our ears. And we can stay in our little crew and sail away. But this Scottish guy has come and he's speaking to your soul and saying, oh, that we would be a church. That we would be a church that would reach out. That we would be a church that would have the bravery to get involved and journey with people. So I'm simply going to ask this. If God has stirred your soul today, then in the presence of God, I'm going to count to three. And if God's done that, Christian, I'm going to ask that you would stand. And I want to pray a prayer. And then I'm going to finish and hand back to Paul. And this is just a little sacred moment where we say, God, whatever it takes, we're not going to hide our eyes. We're not going to put our hands over our ears. We are going to get involved in Jesus' name. If that's you today, then on three, I'm just going to ask you to stand. One, two, three. Just where you are, just stand. Hallelujah. 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 Holy God, holy God, oh, Father, that you would, that you would burn a conviction in our soul, that God, that you would put a passion in our soul that is so far greater and bigger than any fear, than any sense of nervousness, any sense of, of, of resistance, but God, that you would put a passion in our soul for the, for the broken, for the lost, for the devastated, and that God, that we, oh Father, we would become those that would step on the track and say, we're stopping a generation in our tracks.
We pray for this community, God, for the lonely, for those that are woke up this morning and are even wondering whether they should go on. We pray for this community, God, that we would all pick up the devastated, pick up the broken, and that we would bring them into your arms. Oh, God, anoint this church to preach good news to the poor and to, oh, God, to set free the captive in Jesus' name. Amen.